Headliner Radio, the creative voice. Hello, and welcome to Headliner Radio, where we are delighted to be joined by Nashville musician Becca Mankari, whose new album, Left Hand, has just been released via Captured Tracks. Uh, Becca, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you, and whereabouts in the world are you joining us from? I am doing well. I'm in Nashville, Tennessee right now. Very nice. How are things out there at the moment? Have you been uh, particularly busy? I imagine you have over these last few weeks. I've been incredibly busy. I'm looking around my room right now and it's covered in tour merch. So uh, I'm about to be on tour on Saturday. We start our um, a support tour first for an artist named Joy Alotikin and then uh, a headlining tour the rest of the fall. Cool. And, and how has it been so far? How have the shows been going so far? Well, we haven't actually started, so we've just been practicing. So we oh, have okay. our final dress rehearsal tonight, and then uh, we'll have our first show on Sunday. Oh, okay, brilliant. Yeah. Well, the new record, Left Hand, which uh, yeah, which at the time of recording this was released uh, just over a week ago, um, or just under a week ago, can't remember which. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, yeah, it's been, I've been listening to it for the last couple of weeks from before the, the release date and really, really enjoying listening to it. And um, I was wondering if you could kind of tell us the origin story, I guess, for this record and, um, you know, where, where album number two left off and where the start of album number three began. Yeah, album number two left off with me. It's funny in hindsight thinking... I had released the greatest part right during the pandemic, like June, 2020. So it was like the dead middle of all the craziness. Yeah. And um, you, I thought, I think in hindsight that that record, you know, really didn't do what I had thought that I wanted it to do. And in hindsight, it did everything that it was an amazing, like jumping point. And like, we had so much wonderful interactions, especially in the UK. Like we had like, two a-listed songs you know on the bbc six which is like a huge deal um for an artist like campaigning there for the first time um and so i think for me what happened was i just slipped into this feeling of like i had also had like a very close family member get sick and i think that in 2021 really took me you know off my feet and just kind of made me think about life differently and like realize that I really want, if I'm going to make music for it to be saying something from me for me first, Mm. um, and not really worrying about what the after effect is from the music, um, which is like a lot of inner work that I did when I made the record. So left hand, I think is born out of me saying that I'm going to actually not be afraid anymore to like, do things that I really want to do. I think the greatest part kind of started that and then left hand really like solidified that for me. Yeah. So who knows what I'll make next? <laughs> it will never be the same record. <laughs> I, I understand that you self-produced this record. Um, how did you find that, uh, that process? Um, you know, just from, you know, just from, from a creative point of view, you know, what other kind of, um, avenues did that allow you to pursue creatively and then also just from like a learning curve perspective did it kind of teach you things about your your creative process about your songwriting about what you wanted to do artistically and kind of inform maybe where you might go next how was that whole process of self-producing 
You know, I think when you get to be, um, and I had an amazing um, co-producer, Juan Solorzano, who is one of my greatest collaborators. He's played on everything I've ever put out. It's funny. We were like looking back on my catalog and he's a um, virtuoso guitar player. And we've just been friends for such a long time that I really wanted to be the executive producer of my record and allow myself to bring in anybody that I wanted. And it's not in the ego. I think that's the thing is like when you get to do your own record, you really get to call the shots. So it's like equally as scary as it is liberating. I think Mm. when you don't have to like run it by like the executive producer, you get to say like, I know what I want it to sound like. Here are the people that I need it to come from or from me or from you. Um, And so I think for me, it just allowed me the freedom to do whatever I wanted, which was like to bring in collaborators. And, you know, I was never going to produce this record myself. So um, I think in a weird way, when I started writing these songs, I had, I had written everything in a garage band. So everything was to track um, and click, you know, so I was able to use a lot of those um, stems and reamp a lot of the stems uh, in the studio because the sounds were great. And, you know, when I think somewhere inside of me, maybe there was a part of me that wanted to always do this, but didn't actually feel like I could until I had to almost. Mm. It was like being pushed off the cliff. Yeah. Was there a particular point where you, you know, took that plunge, you know, felt that you, okay, I'm going to take that, that jump off the cliff and go in? Or was, did you kind of have any hesitations? We felt, oh, maybe... You know, maybe I maybe I'll, I'll hold back and not do that this time. Was there like a, a particular moment that that led yeah. you to to take that jump? Well, I had started this record with another producer, and it was such a bad experience, and it was so negative in that they were just like pretty awful, to be honest. And so I left that experience around this time last year. Actually, it was in July of last year that I went to go to his studio and. I left in the middle of a session. Like I was like seven days in and my team was like, absolutely not. Like we're, we're pulling you out. Yeah. Um, and so when I came back, I took like a month off. And I think one of those things was I realized that I couldn't get back into another situation like that again. Mm. I was like, w- wouldn't go through that again. Not that that happens a lot. You know, I've had amazing producers before this, like, my other records were produced with people who are, I'm still good friends with, you know? So it's not always like this, but this does happen to a lot of, uh, especially women in the industry, you know, this is a common story that we all talk about. Um, so yeah, I was just like, well, I've already started these songs and Juan had known that, you know, and he said, we can do it. Like, if you want me to like come alongside you and, speak language that is a language that you don't necessarily have yet, which is like the engineering, like uh, pro tools sessions kind of work that I'm actually learning right now for the next record. Um, And that was like, I was, I was like, yeah, we got this. I I build a great team around me. Carlos de la Graza, who mixed the record, he mixed the last record and he is um, world-class. I mean, he does the Paramore records. Like he just produced the new Paramore record and he's just like a world-renowned mixer producer and he's one of my best friends so for me i kind of knew how bad could it be yeah (laughs) and then i took the plunge you know 
So d- despite the, uh, you know, the, the sort of challenging circumstances that, that that decision came out of, do, do you feel like all things considered, it's actually been quite a positive thing and that it's kind of pushed you into doing this thing that now opens up all kinds of possibilities going forward that you may not have, you know, 100%. stumbled upon 100%. otherwise? It is what the universe wanted for me, like not to get too far into that, but I really believe like if I would have kept going the way I was going, it wouldn't have been the career that I wanted. And I think for me now, it was really scary. And you lose a lot of people when you take a bet on yourself in general. Like something I noticed is like when you start believing in yourself truly um, in this industry, there are a lot of amazing people. And then there are a lot of people who are also struggling so hard to break through Mm. that it's really difficult sometimes for them to watch somebody who maybe wasn't always believing in themselves fully take that step. And so you lose a lot of friends even like, I think I've lost like so many people that maybe used to support me and now are just like, well, I don't know. I'm not like, I don't love to see this person like really shine. And so I think that's something that I've realized is like, you just have to like, go forward and be kind and like to say you are allowed to this party too, to your own party, because that's only what we get is one life, you know? Yeah. No, no, it's, um, I think, you know, particularly with the industry, the way it is today, it does seem like it's an an increasingly, uh, you know, tumultuous landscape to try and navigate. And yeah, Mm -hmm. you kind of have to have that self-assuredness, I think, to kind of just create what you want to create and, and do things the way you want to do them if you want to yeah. have any you know hope of kind of achieving what you want to achieve i mean i as for the you know the the the, the recording and the production process with this record can you give us a little bit of a snapshot as to what the sessions for this album looked like you know how long did it take you to to kind of complete mm-hmm. um and yeah and what kind of form did the sessions take you know how how did the ideas and these songs kind of manifest themselves yeah, like I said, I had started almost all of the songs before I went into the studio. So they all had like arrangements and parts played, you know, simply on like MIDI and like drum programming. Um, like Homesick Honeybee, the drum programming in the beginning is something that I did just in this room, you know, on a garage band session. But it sounded so sick. Again, like we were just kind of like whatever sounded really, really amazing and magic. Like, why would we recreate that? And then I think with Juan and I, uh, Juan is such an incredible multi-instrumentalist. Like we were able to kind of like only bring in people when we really needed them. Like we brought in an incredible drummer named Ross McReynolds who, you know, drummed primarily on this record, but then I drummed on the record. Juan drummed on the record. Like uh, Zach Farrow, uh, who produced my last record, uh, did a song called It's Too Late. Um on the record where he drummed and you can really feel like his presence on that song. Mm -hmm. And that's something I really wanted too. is like the process was this record was done primarily in Nashville in a a studio called skinny elephant, which is just a small, incredible studio behind my friend Dylan's house um, where we spent probably like four weeks, I think two weeks and two weeks um, kind of finishing the record. And then, um, the record was also done like all over the place, like LA, uh, Julian Baker's basement, you know, like, <laughs> uh, Brittany Howard's house studio, her living room, you know, it was just kind of done 
wherever the per- the person was and where I was. Um, the only common denominator is I was in the room. And that was like the magic. I think they kind of stuck it all together. That's interesting. Um, I, mean, I wondered if, aside from the, you know, production, uh, you know, self-produced elements of this record, did, did the creative process differ drastically this time around compared to the previous two records or do you when you're writing and formulating ideas have a you know like a tried and tested way that you you tend to you tend to work and to write or yeah does it just kind of you see which way each each song takes you this was very different i really had writer's block in the beginning i was too depressed to make a record and i had tried to do like some co-writes and you know the only song that i really had like I guess there was two songs I had co-writes for that were true co-writes, but the one song don't close your eyes with my friend, Daniel Tashin, who um, produces the Casey Musgrave records and writes a lot of the incredible songs on those records um, became a really good friend to me during the pandemic and kind of like gave me like the tools to learn how to produce and really, really encouraged me to do so. Um, And I feel like with this, when I started really getting in a rhythm of writing this record, I had looked at music as a job for the first time, like where it was just like, I really want to keep doing this job, but I really want to also get better at like what my craft, like I want to actually like not just allow myself to believe, well, the the muse visits me, Mm. then I'll write a great song. Yeah. If I feel like it, I'll write a great song. And that transformation of being like, no, actually, every day I get to say 10 great songs. All you need are 10 great songs. And then every morning I get to say, now let's have fun mm. and let's go deeper. And that's what I did. I just sat in this room for like five months and just wrote and had fun and played with sound, played, played with words, like played with a with writing in a different way than I ever have. And I do think these are some of my best songs that I've ever written. Yeah. I mean what what does it's a big question this, but what does this album mean to you? You know, three albums into your career, self produced record, you know, the you know, with the, the circumstances that it came out of. Where does this stand for you in your kind of in terms of like, you know, your your achievements to date? How do you kind of reflect on, you know, everything that's transpired to create this album. I really feel like this record was for me. I really feel like this record was a chance for me to be the person that I'm actually becoming, which is like really amazing. And like, I think for me before this record, I always was kind of like, maybe, maybe I won't do this forever. Maybe I can't do this forever. Maybe this like, maybe the luck will run out. Maybe like they'll they'll catch on to me, you know, like, And like, now I get to be like, no, like you really are like, this is your gift. This is your, this is your path. And this is like, you are equipped to do this forever and like only get better. And like that, that to me is like, we just scratch the surface now. And like that to me creates an atmosphere of love instead of fear you know if you create out of fear which you know i don't think i ever really created any of my records out of fear i just think i was very much in survival mode for those records because 
I didn't have the tools to live a stronger life that I now do have. And so this record, you know, I went to therapy for the first time during this record. I'd never been to therapy. Like, good woman, greatest part. Huh. I was just, I was just out there just trying to make it through, you know? And like with left hand, I was able to like really experience healing. And like, I think that's really powerful. And when you see an artist do that, you know, you, we all love artists that are like unhealthy. We've all loved music that is like coming from a survival place. But I think to be an artist forever, as we've seen, like it's really, really important and it's beautiful. And you actually get the best work out of them when they've done the work. And so that's kind of what I think this record's done for me. It's like, it's allowed me to sit in my body again, maybe for the first time since I was a kid and feel safe. Yeah. It's, I I find, I find it such a fascinating area of of discussion that, because, you know, there's still, perhaps always will be that fascination and, yeah, incorrect sense of you know the great you have people having to really suffer for their art and the yeah. best work comes out of suffering and torture and pain and all that kind of stuff and it's like I think it's such a it it's such a, a kind of blinkered way of of looking yeah. at the creative process and and isn't always true you know far yeah. from it in a lot of cases but um, it is one of those things that I think still still consumes people a little bit and as creators and fans you know. Uh, mm-hmm. Which you know, I, I think, I think the industry could certainly do taking a healthier approach, maybe to to how they view that concept. Um, I, I wanted to ask you, if you don't mind, as well, just about your about your childhood and your kind of formative years with music, mm-hmm. and 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 when music first kind of entered your life. Um, do you remember the kind of first moments in childhood when? when music, not necessarily, you know, that you started to write or play, but the music just kind of lit up a, a, a part of your brain. Well, it's kind of cute. I was telling my partner uh, the other day, I was thinking about this actually. I hadn't thought about this in a long time, but I was saying, I don't remember. I think I can remember back as far as like three or four, like very young, like just being like, I know that this is what I'm supposed to do. And I knew that it was like, what kind of kept me safe. Like I, I had like a, I had like an uncertain childhood in that my parents were not like, they're great. They're great. They're, they're complicated people. They're like unhealthy, but they're also loving. They loved us. They tried their best. When we grew up very in rural, rural Pennsylvania, after we left the city, like I grew, I was born in Staten Island and, then I grew up in a tiny town, like didn't have a red light. Like it was just like so small. And um, I think music was my escape always. And it was something that I feel like was part of my, like I would say for me more than even being like a singer, it's like a sound maker. Like if I could just make sound someday to explain my feelings that would be like the, probably the truest form of me as an artist, because that is the form that I think it took when I was a very young, when, when you talk about lighting up your brain, it was, it was just sound. It was just, whether that was like in nature, hearing something that really like struck a chord in me. I think that's when it started like waking up inside of me. It was just sounds. 
Can you remember some of the earliest music that, that you know, perhaps a little bit later on, but the music or records or, or moments that, that may have ignited that part of you that wasn't just a fan, but was like, okay, I, I want to, I want to create, I want to make more of this. I'm going to go and play a keyboard or pick up a guitar or yeah. write, write a song, you know? Well, yeah. So I really wasn't allowed to listen, listen to like, secular music as you would say like i would my older sister and i we would like sneak a radio into our bedroom and listen to it under the like the covers at night uh that was like a lot of like rock and like you know during that time period it was like i think it was a funny time period for music you know it was like either it was very very like pop boy bands or like you know uh we were like more into alternative. Like my sister was really into like, like heavier and kind of stuff. Um, and me, like I really was drawn to songs. Like I was really drawn to songwriters and there was a songwriter that nobody knows, like in the, I mean, people know, but she was a Christian artist who we found out years later, she disappeared because she had come out as gay. And it was really interesting as a little kid. I remember thinking I, I'm like that person. And I love, I love the way they looked. They dressed like me, like they dressed tough. They had a really cool guitar that they would play. And it was very much about them creating their own, I think, voice. And that's something too, as um, born as this person, cis woman, like I really felt like women oftentimes were told they had to sound like another woman or sound like another singer. And something as very young, I had the cognitive uh, strength to say, well, I want to sound like me. What does my voice sound like? And what do, what, what do I actually... So I didn't do cover songs. I never like played cover songs. Like I, pr- I primarily started writing original songs at like 12 when I started playing guitar. And I really kept that kind of my guiding light throughout my career. For better or worse. I don't know. Maybe I should be covering songs but i just always wrote my own songs no i always find that more um you know it, it to me that's just, you know uh, you know and each each to their own but i i always find that if you're going to play an instrument if you're going to learn something you might as well write your own stuff with it you know? yeah because it's only yeah. going to be fulfilling for so long i would have thought unless you are in a great covers band or something like that and you can yeah. make a living in music that way but like yeah yeah there's going to be a point where we go oh yeah i've played that song a million times now <laughs> you know what, yeah. what's left to, to kind of get out of that yeah. um amazing and then what I, I just wanted to you know to to kind of ex- extrapolate from that a little bit what was the first point at which you started to kind of take it to, to like a different level you know beyond uh you know writing and playing around with with, with songs and ideas that you know there's kind of like early teenage years or what was the point when you started kind of actually going like this is this is something I'm going to do. I'm going to start writing. I'm going to start recording. Mm-hmm. And um, mm-hmm. it's going to be my, my vocation. Yeah. I, I, it was, it happened kind of like throughout many, many years of skirting around it. Like I think I did stop when I was like very early, like 18, like I stopped playing music. My friends didn't know I played music. I just went through a season where I just said, I'm just going to be a, like a teacher or, or I don't know. Like I just like was going through it. I think I was coming out during that time too. And like, I think for me surviving was like the only thing I could do because uh, I was kicked out of my family, you know, for being queer. And like, um, 
during survival time, you really don't have a lot of time to create. Um, but it was creating like the songs inside of me. It's kind of crazy how, you know, 10 years later, those songs are coming out now instead of when that was happening. Um, so for me, um, the big shift I think really happened. I was working as a, a subsidy teacher, like a uh, adjunct teacher in South Florida. Um, and I was a janitor too. I was working like two jobs. I was like, you know, waking up at 6am, going to bed at like midnight and then doing it all over again. And I brought in my guitar to play. Cause like my students were like, what do you do? Like, like, what do you like to do? Like, you know, and I was like, I'll show you. And I played them some music and they were like, Oh my God, like you're really good. Uh, and I remember being like, you know, like I'm teaching these kids to follow their dreams and I'm not doing that. Like, how can I not live the example of myself? And so long story short, I had met this, uh, manager at this random event, uh, who was from Nashville and then he manages like pretty big band and he heard me play too. And he was just like, whoa, like, these are really good songs. Like, have you ever thought about going to Nashville? I think that you would do really well there. And I actually had never wanted to go to Nashville. Like, I always was going to go to New York or LA, you know. And I got in my car one day after that conversation, maybe two months after that. I'd never visited. I had maybe one friend here. And I moved. <laughs> I just moved. I'd never visited. I'd never, like, spent any time here. I just said, well, it's no time like the present, like to go and chase your dreams. And then I've been doing that ever since. And this city is really has changed my life. Like I've made the most incredible connections, friends, real, real amazing records. Like, yeah, that was, yeah, yeah. that's how I started. Amazing. And just bringing it back to the, to the present day, um, you said that you're about to go out on tour. Um, where will you be playing? And are you going to be doing anything outside of the US? Their plans to kind of travel overseas, or you know, what does the what does the schedule yeah, look like? Going so I will be um, touring only the US right now. Uh, it's going to be coast to coast, um, and then the plan, fingers crossed, is to get over across the pond uh, in February. So uh, really working on that. Really, really, really trying. Um, probably going to be in like mostly primarily in the UK and then some shows in France and Germany, but, um, well, TBD trying our best. Amazing. Well, Becca, thank you so much for, uh, for taking the time to, to have a chat with us. I really appreciate it. It's been really, really fascinating to hear about how this Thanks. record came together as well and, and how your career has kind of evolved and, and continues to do so. So thank you very much. Thank you, Daniel. Headliner radio supporting the creative community. 